This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Is our economy about to fail? Is that even possible? Josh Tolley provides a much needed reality check and a proper explanation of terms that can help believers both protect their assets and prepare for the next phase of the system we all rely upon for our daily lives. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, there you are, it's been a week. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Newsflash, the world is not going to end and the economy is not going to collapse. However, there is a financial overhaul coming and things are going to change. And that's where we need to focus on things a little bit. How do we as believers embrace what is coming and to use it to our advantage to help others? That's tonight's episode of The Parable of the Talents with Josh Tolley, the second of a very powerful four episode series. And do you know what today is? This is the day that the astronomers from the East presented gifts to Yeshua, not at the manger scene, but at a house when Yeshua was a 14-month-old toddler. You can see that on the fourth week of the ninth month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. Hanukkah begins this weekend, so let's talk about that with my co-host, Ted Clayton. Well, thank you, Scott, and welcome everyone to Shabbat Night Live. Oh boy, have we got some really good stuff to share with you this week, ladies and gentlemen, because listen, you need to call your friends, your neighbors, your family, <laughs> get them on and get them watching Josh Tolley, because oh, this teaching is ultimately important, especially at this time of the year. Right, now people might hear the little preamble we did here and say, well, how can you say the economy is not gonna crash? Yeah. Okay, the economy is not going to crash. The dollar may crash, other things may crash, but the economy itself, that's why I said, you know, Josh really corrected me when we were up here doing that interview. He says, yeah. look, the economy is something people don't understand. When we hear that on the news, we need to understand what they're talking about yes. and not get panicked because mm -hmm. not everything's gonna come crashing down. It's going to change. And in that change, how do we as believers see ahead and go, okay, I'm ready for it. Yeah. That's what he's talking about tonight. Well, you know, uh, just recently we had, a uh, oh, matter of fact, it was this time last year, we did a whole series on prepping. Yep. And we talked about, you know, what do you need to do when the stuff hits the fan, mm -hmm. as it were. And we talked about uh, how to survive in the wilderness. I think it's called the Revel uh, uh, Revelation Preparation. Revelation you were in there, you did the ham yeah. radio. Uh, did the, I did the ham radio part because I am a licensed ham radio operator. And uh, it, it was just, it, by the way, it's a great series to get uh, if you're wondering what you need to do as a believer to prepare for those times, it is absolutely fantastic. But Scott, yep. we've got an addendum teaching for this month's love gift with yes. Josh as well that is must-see viewing 
uh, for knowing about business and stuff. Tell us about that. Right, so this is business ownership for believers. Now, this is not starting a coffee shop or starting a, you know some kind of uh, dog-sitting business or something. This is buying businesses that already exist. Well, how can I do that, Scott? I'm not a millionaire. Josh is gonna tell you how. If you have a house, if you have a 401k, if you have anything like that, you can actually do what the big boys do on a smaller scale, and you can start owning businesses and change your life. Seriously. Josh is doing it. He's got a brand new company that does all this. And I said, Josh, you've got to tell people about this because this is empowering for believers. Mm-hmm. He's Josh is a big believer in As believers, we have to be the head and not the tail. Absolutely. And so here's what this says, just on the back of here. Uh, Throughout the Bible, believers are told that we are to be the head and not the tail, and that the righteous will leave in abundance for their children. Maybe you're wondering, well, how the heck am I gonna do that? The Bible says it, but how am I gonna do it? Right. And the wealth provide that wealth provides the means to care for others. It's not to hoard for ourselves, it's to help people. That's what we know as believers to do. Buying an already successful business makes it all possible and it's more attainable than you think. And it really is. You gotta watch this. So this is your gift from Michael to you, courtesy of Josh. That's right. Or a gift of $50 or more in the love gift this month. Uh, and Ted, we also have another beautiful thing here. And we're going to get to this because this is the best part. Oh, this is this is incredible, but go yep. ahead. Go so ahead. anyway, for a, a gift of $100 or more, we also have this pendant from the 7th century depicting the menorah, which is the light of the world. That's right. Represents Yeshua, by the way. That's right. Speaking of this. Uh, and also a shofar and a Torah scroll. But for a gift of 300 Ted, tell us about this thing. Well, this is a one-of-a-kind deal. And I know people say, well, oh, come on, I could get that anywhere. No, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is something exclusively created for our partners at A Root Awakening International. It has a beautiful verse on it from John 8, 12, and it, it, it just magnificent. I am the light of the world, and it's just absolutely gorgeous, ladies and gentlemen. You would be so proud to have this displayed in your home. And once again, it's important to have these things because it's discussion starters with people who may not understand the truth, may not even be uh, a believer, but you can start a conversation and talk talk to them about your faith by seeing these items. Mm -hmm. And ladies and gentlemen, they're beautiful. This month, they have just, Scott, you guys have just gone over and above having wonderful stuff for this this month's uh, love gift. And boy, I tell you, just absolutely incredible. Now, speaking of this month, so this is the last month of the year. Yes. You know, it's different on the Hebrew calendar, but you know, we also have to adhere to the Gregorian calendar because right. of the IRS and all the rest right. of it. So uh, right now is a very important uh, time for us because we plan what's going to go on next year with right. all of what we're gonna do here at the ministry. What are we not gonna do? What do, what do we have enough funds to do? Exactly. And you have done a video for that, so I would like to show that to people right now. Can we do that? Absolutely. All right, take a look at that. And then after that is the Kiddush with Michael, so just stay tuned and watch a special message from Ted. Hello, dear friends and partners of A Root Awakening International. I'm Ted Clayton. As the year comes to a close, we wanna take a moment to express our deepest gratitude for your unwavering support and partnership with Michael and A Root Awakening International. It's been a year filled with both challenges and blessings, and your commitment to our ministry has played a significant role in our continued growth and impact. Throughout the year, we have witnessed incredible transformations in the lives of countless individuals as they have come to understand the profound truths found in the scriptures and the teachings of Yeshua Messiah. 
Your generous contributions have made it possible for us to reach a global audience and share the message of redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. In 2023, we achieved several milestones, including renewed outreach and humanitarian efforts. Your support has allowed us to extend our ministry's reach to those in need in the land of Israel. Through our partnerships and initiatives, we have been able to provide assistance and support to those who have been impacted by the brutal attacks of October 7th. We will continue with your help to provide the much needed services. We created the first ever Spanish printed edition of the Chronological Gospels Bible. After intense translation and refining by our Spanish team, Michael's signature work is now in the hands of Spanish-speaking believers across the globe. We also set up a special fund to support shipping of the book to less fortunate countries, which can cost as much as the book itself. We held transformative in-house events. Our annual Passover and Yom Teruah event at Rude Awakening International Headquarters in Charlotte brought together like-minded individuals to worship, study, and fellowship. These gatherings fostered a sense of community and a deeper understanding of our shared faith. We expanded our digital outreach. We have reached millions of people worldwide through our online resources, live-streamed events, and podcasts, helping believers connect with the roots of their faith and the timeless wisdom of the Bible. And of course, the second edition of the Chronological Gospels in English. The Chronological Gospels Bible is now better than ever, featuring larger print in both the regular and larger print versions, new, easier to navigate event index, new scripture index, new appendix of Hebrew names, words, and definitions, commentary updates, clarification and additions, timing updates in the book of the Revelation and refinements to Hebrew word definitions. And soon, we'll be changing the Chinese-speaking world with the first ever printed version of the Chronological Gospels in Chinese. With the world changing so rapidly, we're striving to bring you the very best speakers on timely issues that affect us all. From end-time prophecy unfolding before our eyes to personal preparedness tips, we are producing more high-quality video teachings, articles, and publications than ever before to explore the Messianic perspective on the Scriptures, deepening the understanding of Yahovah's Word. It's all very exciting, but none of this happens without you. We're eager to move forward and invite you to be a part of it. We ask that you prayerfully consider making an end-of-year gift to help us further our mission to reveal the truth of Messiah to the world and strengthen the faith of believers everywhere. Here are some of the ways you can contribute above and beyond your regular giving. How about a one-time donation? Your one-time gift, no matter the amount, will directly impact our ministry and outreach efforts. How about considering becoming an Ambassador Club member? 
providing consistent support that enables us to plan for long-term growth and sustainability. Or legacy giving. If you're interested in leaving a lasting legacy, please contact us to explore planned giving options that align with your values and financial goals. Your financial support is essential, but we also covet your prayers. We believe that prayer is a powerful tool and can open the doors, change lives, and accomplish the impossible. To make a donation or learn more about giving options, please visit our website at arudeawakening.tv forward slash give or contact our partner services team at 888-766-3610 or you can mail your donation to Arood Awakening International P.O. Box 1559 Fort Mill, South Carolina We are humbled and grateful for your dedication to the ministry of Arood Awakening International Your partnership allows us to continue our mission of making the truth of the Messiah known to all the world May the coming year bring you abundant blessings and joy, and may our shared journey in faith continue to grow and flourish. Thank you, and may God bless you and keep you. Buying businesses is often perceived as something reserved for the worldly rich, but that's not true. In fact, it's not biblical. And it's more attainable than you think. Small business ownership worldwide employ way more people than big corporations, have a much larger economic impact than large corporations. Not only do we need to understand that and appreciate it, but we got to get God's people owning them. In Business Ownership for Believers, Josh Tolley shows you how to scale the acquisitional wealth strategy of multinational companies to something you can use right now. It's simple, it's achievable, and you may be surprised at the creative ways you can do it. This teaching is not available anywhere online, but we'll give it to you as our thanks for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 as a love gift to this ministry in December, we'll send you Business Ownership for Believers with Josh Charlie on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you Business Ownership for Believers, plus a gold-plated replica pendant from the 7th century depicting a menorah, shofar, and Torah scroll. Donate $300 and we'll send you Business Ownership for Believers, the gold-plated replica pendant, and a frosted glass table lamp featuring Yeshua's words from John 8:12. I am the light of the world. These gifts are a limited-time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Thank you. Your donations ensure that important teachings like business ownership for believers keep coming from A Rude Awakening International. Use your smartphone to scan the QR code on your screen to donate now and receive these limited time gifts or call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. The Apostle Paul said that Yeshua nailed the dogmas, the doctrines and commandments of men, of the arche and exousia, 
that he overcame, that he nailed their commandments or man-made dogmas to the cross. And because of that, we are not to allow any of the arche and exousia, any of the religious authorities of men who made up their own commandments to judge us because every one of the feasts of the Lord are prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come. So don't let any pagan, let no religious authority judge you concerning the Sabbath, the new moons. And on the Sabbath, we do not allow the world to judge us and tell us what to do. We know that Yeshua paid the price for us. And the last night he was with his disciples when he took the bread and he blessed the Most High with this blessing, Baruchatah Yehovah Heleno Melech Haolam Hamotzi Lechem Hinaretz. He said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of him. And then Yeshua took the cup and he said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. This is what this represents. This is what it's always represented. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said that prayer, Baruchatah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pori HaGafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me and don't let anyone disparage you. Do this until I come again, because I have made you priest and kings. Shabbat Shalom. When last we spoke, we were talking about the economy and where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst. So yeah, we don't need to fear about what is happening. Uh, and at the end of that episode, our floor director, Jacob, said, you know, I wanna know why the economy is going to fail. Why do we think the economy is going to fail? And Josh Tolley, thanks for joining us again this week. Yeah. Is the economy going to fail? Is that the right wording? No, it's not, and and I think that's a really interesting point, and you have a really great uh, floor manager because that's that's a brilliant point. The economy doesn't fail. The economy is us. Like I said before, it just manages what we or measures what we do. As long as we're alive, there's going to be an economy. Period. What we're really talking about when we say is the economy going to fail, we're talking about is the system that's currently in place to operate within that economy going mm. to fail? And that answer is yes. They, they always fail. Now, I'm not gonna predict this. I'm not gonna say, Scott, we have 12 months before you know it, it hits the fan. But at some point, it is gonna fail. And we know that with the rapid advancement of digital currencies, quantum computing, AI, this economy is gonna have to transition into something else in terms of an operating system. But the economy itself, as long as we're alive, will never fail. And there's a good word, transition, yeah. right? And I think that's it. You know, we're always, Fear, fearful of number one, failure, and we're fearful of change. Mm -hmm. But those are, that's just it. Like we mentioned last week, that those are fear. It's, it's going to transition into something else. We don't need to fear, we need to prepare and get ready for what's coming. And so if uh, our enemy in this world tells us he's gonna do something, believe him. Right, 
and just prepare for, okay, if we're going to own nothing and be happy, like Klaus Schwab says, okay, then okay, then we got to prepare for that. Right. And part of that preparation, I think we, we just led into it last week, was um, p- keeping money within the community. Right. You mentioned how the Muslim people do it, how the uh, Jewish community does it, even on like... Uh, like a Native American reservation, they yeah. do it. There's economies within each one of these little pockets, yep. but yet somehow when we're believers, we give our money to Amazon and the way it goes, it doesn't stay in the community. Yeah, and I think the reason that is, is because in Western society, we identify with the system in which we're in, right? So if, if I'm, I've never been a Muslim immigrant, but if I were to be a Muslim immigrant, I would identify with other Muslims in the community in which I'm part of, not part of America. Right, And that's part of the reason why there's so much panic because the very thing we identify with as Americans Mm -hmm. or as Canadians or wherever you're from, if that thing fails, it feels like part of you is at risk too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we, we have interrelated patriotism with faith so much that you can go to a Christian bookstore and see a shadow of a waving flag behind three crosses on the hill, right? They're just <laughs> tied right. together. Where these other subset communities, they're not. Mm. They're not. They might love America as its own thing, but their economy is completely separate. And they just happen to be using American dollars at the moment. But if the American dollar goes away, they'll throw in something else. But this is why that community aspect is so important. And last week we ended with, where two or more are gathered in my name. We used to gather. We used to gather. And I mean this as serious as a heart attack, and I can prove it in a second, but if the internet came, if, if the internet was first, retail would kill the internet tomorrow morning. Mm. It's just because the internet and everything it brought with it was a new technology and it transitioned us to a new system that we embrace it so much. Mm. But if you ask the average person, uh, you know, how do you get your, your shirts? Well, I order them online. They get here in two days. Usually they're the wrong size, so I'll send it back. That takes two days. They'll get it, send me the right one. So six days after I buy it, I get the shirt I'm looking for. If that's the only system you knew, Scott, and then somebody invented a store and I said, Psst, Scott, we could go that way four minutes and you could try it on and have instant delivery. There would be no internet, because who would wait six days for a stupid shirt? You could leave the store with the shirt. You could leave the store with the shirt. (laughs) But because of the the way the system changed at this moment, that's the system we're in. But it it just Uh. illustrates the point. And to prove it, Gen Zers are leaving the internet. Hmm. You have to remember the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, and even the the older millennials, because millennials are 41, 42 now. Those generations were alive when the internet was invented. Right. So it was new, it was hot, it was popping. Well, the Gen Zers and whatever comes after them, they only known the internet. So I am selling more printed books to people under 30. I am selling more physical products to people under 30. Mm-hmm. And Amazon is buying stores for people under 30. So we can always see these transitions. What we need to concentrate on is how do we spot the next transition and then how do we find the opportunity in it? Mm. And you know, that's true. Like we say about Gen Zers. So I have a son who's 19 and he and his friends, do they get together online? No. When they want to get together on a Friday night and they just want to have some fun or whatever, or whenever it is, they go and hang out right. together, right. right? So they all meet at a parking lot. Everybody's got their souped up cars and they all just look at each other's cars and admire them and play the stereos and have some fun. Yep. And then they might take photos and videos and post them online. 
Yep. But it's not like they're doing this online. They need to get together with the people. So even if they recognize it or not, they need to be together, right? Yes. And this is something, uh, so this is something you call the third place. Is yeah. That right? Okay, so how, what's the first, second place, and what's the third place? Okay, so, so <laughs> I'm not the one that, that coined the term. The term's been around a while, but if we look throughout history, for thousands of years, we would have a third place. The first place being your home, and the second place being wherever you go to go to work. But then there was always a third place, whether it was a bowling alley, a coffee shop. Uh, typically in European culture, it was um, a pub, which actually stands for public house. Um, oh, in Middle Eastern culture, it was a tea house. But there was always a third place where you would go and gather. And we need to get back to that. And it sounds like your son is starting that tradition again, which is great, but we need to get back to that because that's where the economy is really created. That's where people mm. really hatch ideas. Even if you look at great philosophical movements like Stoicism, Stoicism started outside the building. It started on the steps. It started on the third place when they were having kebabs and tea. That's when Stoicism started. So, this whole idea of we need to get back to a local economy, visit your local store, and don't just vanity shop. This is one thing that really has to change within Western society. I remember when all these TV shows and movies were coming out like Forks Over Knives, Super Size Me, all that. And I was at the time living where the, the country's largest farmer's market was. And I asked him, I said, have you seen any increase in sales? Nope, not at all. Mm. And the reason being is because people don't go to farmer's market to grocery shop, you go to vanity shop. You go to walk around and get one head of lettuce and oh, that organic chicken, but then you're still going to HEB to fill up the cart for the week, right? Yeah, that's true. That yeah. is absolutely true. So we need to change that when it comes to not only grocery shopping, but all of our shopping. We need to say, who in my community can I spend this money with and not think to yourself, well, it's 20% more. Irrelevant, mm -hmm. you keep it here. So even though it costs 20% more, it's worth 80% more in the long run because of the way it increases, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. But even going beyond that, the internet has caught up. The internet's no longer the cheaper option all the time. They know that you're not gonna shop local, so they've raised their prices too, and we still believe it's cheaper because it's online. Right, exactly. I, well, Amazon's a good example, right? So things yeah. on Amazon are not what they are in Walmart, Right. Know, for example, like Walmart, still they try and be the the, the low priced guy, yeah. but even there, sometimes that's not true, right? But but on on Amazon, it's not necessarily cheaper. But we have that mindset, right? That it is. But you know, cheaper is not necessarily good. Like for example, so in MySpace, when I'm talking about MySpace, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> remember gonna, that? I'm not going to talk about <laughs> MySpace, but no. But in my in my little world where I live, I've got a um, I've got a grass fed uh, beef farmer. Okay. About ten minutes from my house. And I would much rather go to them and get good meat and pay more for it than go to the store and get the cheap stuff that I know is gonna make me sick because that, that's, that's our motivation is to be healthier. Right. So to be healthier, you have to you know, go to those folks who are doing things better, getting the organic chickens, you know, the, the, the wild caught fish, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And, that's, so we, and that also supports local economy and therefore by having that local economy, now we don't need to fall into this other, uh, this other corral, if you will, that everyone's being forced into, right? Yeah, and, and we have to be aware of our situation because you bring up a really excellent point in this idea that what's cheaper, you get what you pay for, right? 
Your grandma taught you that. Well, if you pay nothing, what do you think you're gonna get? Mm -hmm. And this idea of what you pay for isn't always monetary either. Like if, if, if you're somebody out there who's like, hey, the world's getting warmer, we need to do our part to be you know, responsible for the environment, you would never shop from Amazon in your life because the, the pollution that's created from shipping it four times, the wasted cardboard with five different boxes, mm. like the, the environmental impact of ordering from Amazon is hundreds of times worse than it going in a truck once, getting to your store, and then getting in your car. And so what, what did you really pay? You might have right. saved $20, but now Greta Thunberg's gonna have a fit because polar bears don't have ice cubes to drink or something. But <laughs> <laughs> I but think I've actually true. seen that video on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but but even, even this idea of cost, last night I, I arrived here to come on your show and the restaurant that I wanted to eat at, the healthy food, didn't work out. It just didn't work out. And I was getting hungry, all that sort of stuff. And I ordered from a fast food place. But you know what that meal for one person was? Mm. Way more than healthy food now costs. It used to be the opposite. Mm. But now with service fees, DoorDash, please tip, you know, all these other sort of things, ordering a burger and a fry from a local fast food place that everybody would know by name cost me over $28 to feed one. It's not like I ordered <laughs> wow. everything, but it was 28 <laughs> bucks to order a burger and a fry. Good. And I'm like, night. man, I could have like raised a chicken for <laughs> way less than this. You could have got an Uber and gone somewhere. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Okay. So now that's how we spend money. Now, how yeah. about when we keep money. Okay. So this is what everyone's concerned about, right? Yeah, so yeah. we, uh, how do we, you know, how do we store funds? How, how do we know when to take it out? All this stuff. Let's yeah. get into this. I think it's really important to understand the difference between wealth creation and wealth storage. This is so messed up. People will go to work and earn 100 bucks. They won't view that as wealth creation. Instead, they'll then put it in a mutual fund or an IRA or gold or real estate, whatever. That is not creating wealth. Mm. Wealth is never created at six to 12% a year. That's where you store money. And this is so, so huge. When, whenever you talk to somebody about, hey, you know what, how much are you gonna need for retirement? How is this whole process gonna work? The first thing a financial planner is gonna ask you is how long do you need the money to last? Scott, mm. do you know what that's code for? Mm. How quick are you gonna die? <laughs> that's what that's code for. Yeah. And if, if your financial plan requires you dying in order for it to work, you need a new plan. And the reality is you can never save your way to wealth. But we've been taught this lie that says, well, put it in, put it in Wall Street. Put it in Wall Street. That's where you place it while you're looking for a place to, to generate income. But let's take a deeper look at that. What does Wall Street do with it? Does Wall Street reinvest it into Wall Street? No, they buy stuff. They buy income-producing income assets. So when you place, let's say, 100 bucks in a 401k, you're gonna to have to pay a commission to the money manager. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be invested in Wall Street. Wall Street itself takes a commission. They make more money in a down market than an up market. And you're placing your money there hoping that it grows four to 6% a year. But you can take out a calculator right now. I don't care how many times you rule a 72 this thing. You're not gonna turn pennies into millions of dollars ever. And I'm not saying you need millions of dollars to be happy because we talked about that. 
But what I'm saying is, if it doesn't work for wealth creation, stop thinking it's wealth creation. You just store money there. Mm. And this has biblical concepts as well, because you know, every, throughout the Bible we see people bought plots of land. Abraham had tons of you know uh, sheep and this kind of thing, and they they made more of what they had. And even the parable of the talent, we brought it up a yes. couple of times already. Yes. So you have your one coin and you bury it in the ground. That's almost as bad as doing like the, the 401k example. Instead, if you if Yelva has given you 10 talents to do something with in this life, yes. make 10 more. Like yes. do more with it. He wants us to do something, and that means trusting him. That, that's this whole thing here, is trusting Yehovah with what he's given us instead of just sitting on it. There's a trust factor here. Well, that's exactly it. And, and that's why I think there's a huge di distinction between believers who have these concerns and complaints and atheists who have these concerns and complaints. They're not valid when atheists have them. We can argue those away. But it's even more ridiculous when you say you're a believer and you still have these complaints because you took God out of the entire equation. But let's take a look at this parable with the talents, right? So the guy buries them. What happens to this guy? He gets it taken away from him. He gets kicked out of the kingdom. And then the insult in the Bible, the insult was you could have at least put it in the bank and got interest. That was the insult. That was the don't be an idiot. <laughs> That'd be the dumbest thing to do. That would be the dumbest thing to do, right? You could have at least done the dumb thing. Wow, so we never really, thought about it like that. Right? We really have to look at this and say, what did he give us and what are we doing with it? You have one trip, Scott, one trip. You're done in 100 years or less. What did you do with that trip? And it's not about the wealth you created as much as it's about what did you do with the talent that he gave you? If you wanna hear well done, good and faithful servant, do you really think you're gonna get a well done, good and faithful servant when he says, what did you do? Well, I shivered in fear of a bald guy in Germany who's wearing Star Trek uniform stuff because he threatened to take all my money away and then I would have to rent my Xbox games instead of own them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you get a well done at that point. You get a well done when it says, hey, look, you were in captivity. You took two sticks, made a little place to, to store a candle, and everybody stored their candles there, and you got more sticks. Like, that would make more sense than what we're telling ourselves to be proud of. Well, and it's even uh, multi-generational. So on both sides of this, this equation, right? So we've got, if, you know, like these generational curses, Right. We'll follow you for generations, but what are we told to do on the other side of things? Build a life, build a legacy, build you know, ethics, value, morals, uh, you know, wealth even, if you will, you want to go there. Yeah. A, a righteous man saves up for his future generations, right? Children's children. His children's children. His children's children. And, and you know, what's funny about this is I, I hear this a lot when people complain about, oh, money's not important and all that sort of stuff. If you look at that verse, to provide for your children's children, it's not a spiritual inheritance. It's not like, oh, well, that means the Bible or the word of God. No, because that sentence isn't over, it continues. Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Well, in order for this to be a spiritual inheritance, that means the inheritance is coming from the wicked. Mm. How does that even make sense? It doesn't. It is talking about money. So, and it's not a suggestion. It's a 
command. Right. You are to lay up wealth for your children's children. And if we are allowing ourselves to be just kind of bogged down with the ignorance of how the economy works and then combined with the paralyzation of fear from the people trying to control it, we are never going to be able to adhere to that command. Mm. Yeah, very, so true, so true, yeah. goodness. So then the question becomes, how do we do that? You know, we know what to do, but how do we do that? So let's come back in the second half and talk about that. Sounds great. All right, thanks, Josh. All right, thank you for joining us, and thank you for donating to this ministry. This is how this happens. This is how we can get this information into your hands so that we can change lives. And believe me, what we're gonna talk about in this series is gonna change lives. It's gonna change your life and how you think about how we can get through this time together, not have fear, have faith, and actually do something with this. So thank you for donations that make it happen, and we'll be right back. Thank you for your support. Before the break, we were talking about what to do. Okay, so don't bury your talent. Do something with it. Okay, I think a lot of people are in this space these days of, I don't know how to do that. What do I, sure. you know, because we're so used to just, like you said before, saving, putting it in a 401k, letting it build four to 6% a year and you'll be fine. And But that's not what Yehovah really wants us to do. He wants us to have faith and step out. So how do we do that? No, you're absolutely right. Statistically, those other things aren't gonna work anyway. Uh, the how is, is important, but the first question before the how is, should I do it anyway? Hmm. You know, so if, if we look at Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the garden, and God says, okay, now you're gonna have to eat what you sow. Did he tell them how to sow it? No, he just said, mm. no, you're gonna have to go figure this out. You're gonna eat what you sow, it's sweat of your brow. And we, you know, the, the same thing is true. I remember when I had my first child, I wasn't ready. I have never met a single parent who was ready. And what did every already parent tell every soon to be parent? You're never going to be ready. Right. There's nothing that can get you ready to do what you need to do in order to bring life. And whether it's life through farming like Adam or it's life through having a baby like, like a mother, which all mothers are women, by the way. I know it's 2023 and we have to define that, but they're all women. But, but what is a woman, Josh? <laughs> Continue, please. Let's get past that. Uh, but but <laughs> we, we have to. So first, first decision is before you understand all of the hows, just make the decision you have to change. Mm. Once that's done, then we can talk about how. So let's talk about, you've already made the decision. Yep, you're right, Josh. I've done the math statistically. Hitting a 20 in blackjack is twice as likely to not bust as putting money in a mutual fund and having it work out. That's how bad Wall Street is. Really? So, wow. Oh, oh, dude, man, we could we could go down that rabbit hole for a long time. <laughs> but but yeah, so all that's bad. First thing you have to do is say, what am I doing to make money right now? And if it's employment, I'm obviously a fan of entrepreneurship. But even if it's employment, how do I maximize this? How do I maximize it? Am, am, am I working one job and then going home and binge watching Netflix for four hours a night? Or am I working one job saying, okay, well, I don't have wife and kids at home, so let me go get another job, even if it's earned $12,000 more a year, right? And then taking that $12,000 to do what's next. Maximize it. Change jobs. If you're in a job that's not offering you upward mobility, change jobs every 24 to 36 months. There's entire courses on why you should do that because statistically, even if you go up 10% per switch, in 10 jumps, you're 100% more ahead of where you were. Mm. So even if you're going to be employed, be aggressively employed. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, so it's not the old adage of go to college, get a job, keep it for 30 years, and retire. just stay, right. Don't do that, that that doesn't work, contrary to what they want you to believe. 
So be aggressive about it. After that, my next suggestion is become an entrepreneur. You have to do something entrepreneurial. And what we get usually questioned at that point is, well, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have skills. None of that is relevant at all. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody who's complained to that way has worked for a boss that was stupid, right? Just an idiot. And you're thinking, man, I could do a better job than him or her. Then do it. But it's this fear that stops us. We're so afraid. Oh, what if I fail? Let me paint an analogy. Let's say you're employed and your first job is a fry cook at McDonald's and you get fired from McDonald's. What are the odds of your next job being a better job, higher or lower? Lower. Now you're mopping floors at Burger King. If you get fired from Burger King, what's the odds that your next job's gonna be better? Lower. So failure in employment creates more failure. That's not true when it comes to entrepreneurship. If you started your first business, and let's say it was a window washing company, and it fails, the odds of your second business being a success, are they higher or lower? Higher. Higher, because you've learned from your mistakes? You've learned from your mistakes, you've learned from just experience what to do and what not to do. So the odds of your next business becoming successful actually go up. And there are wealthy, wealthy people. I, I had Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank on my show talking about this. A lot of these investors won't even invest in you unless you've already had one bankruptcy. Mm. Because unless you know how to fail and recover from it, you're never really a success yet anyway. So if in entrepreneurship failure creates higher odds of success, what are we actually afraid of? And this is where we have to have a level of maturity because we get away with it when we're adults because nobody's forcing us to change. But we wouldn't let a toddler act that way. I have a toddler at home, 18 month old. Well, she's a little bit older than that, but little, little girl. She falls down hundreds of times a day. If she were to say, daddy, I fell, I don't wanna walk. You don't accept that. Or an eight-year-old who's learning how to ride a bike. No, I fell and got a boo-boo. Great, get back on and go. Or an 18-year-old who you know, failed at a class. Well, I don't want to take it next semester. No, you're going to take it. All of a sudden, we become adults accountable to nobody. And we're like, no, I might fail, Scott. I'm not going to try anything. That's, that's ridiculous. Right. It's the same thing, if, even if in, in a more extreme case, if you had an accident with a car. Right. And uh, I'm just afraid to drive. I think somebody else might rear-end me and I don't know. Right. That, you're never gonna drive again? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I'm learning how to be a pilot and I was in a plane that had some faults and we weren't sure if we were gonna make it. And I thought to myself, well, if I survive it, I got my crash out of the way. Statistically, I'm never gonna crash again, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so, so there's just some reality to this. Now, that doesn't mean you just go out and, and start a, an Etsy business. We have to have some, some wisdom behind this too. That's why the Bible says in all you're getting, get understanding. You don't just wanna start a business and say, well, I'm gonna sell you know, handmade mittens on Etsy. You're not gonna make it. You have to do what's called a profitability assessment and say, if whatever, whatever I'm thinking about doing, in the time that I have to do it, can it achieve the financial result that I want it to achieve? Mm. And if it can't, don't do it. I don't care how much you like it, how much you would love to make mittens, just don't do it. You have to have some wisdom behind the decision. And there's a big difference too. I think we've gotten into this in, in, uh, in series past. I think we're gonna get into it again, but there's a difference here between just creating another job for yourself 
and entrepreneurship, right? Those are two Huge. different things. Huge, yeah. I, I tell people all the time, there's a massive difference between being a small business owner and entrepreneur. Okay, so that, that's the yeah. difference, okay. Yeah, small business owner is somebody who basically has their own job, they go to work, typically doing whatever they did before, right? So if you were a plumber for 10 years and you started a business in modern America, odds are what's gonna be your business? Plumbing. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. When you do that, you you initially cut off all openness to other opportunities. Second, put yourself in a position where whatever the business does is going to be provided by you. And then third, once you do whatever the business provides, you're gonna have to do all the business owner stuff too. Mm. So books and marketing and you know HR, all that sort of stuff. So the typical small business owner works way more hours than the employee. And then you hear, well, I wouldn't wanna own a business, you work more. No, that's happening because you bought a job doing whatever you did and you took on both the employee side and the boss side. That's right. why that situation presents itself. You know, and, and being uh, an entrepreneur and all this type of thing, this, dare I say, this is an exercise in faith too. Because you, you know, by, by doing this type of thing, you actually help to grow your faith as well. Oh yeah. And you learn things in this. I'll just give you one example. Maybe you have examples too you wanna to share, but you know, I started this whole, uh, this health thing that I have, this layered wellness thing. So yeah. I started this and, and at first I thought, well, I'm gonna to have to learn how to do Facebook and do all this type of stuff. So you, you get this program that teaches you about that. And I get a, a business coach. And I, so I hired this business coach to help me. Spent way more than I should have. And then God brings you one guy your way yeah. and changes your world for nothing. You know, and that's what happened in our, in our situation. And he was like, how is this even happening? And it's, you know, we've learned to pray after that. God, you bring the people that makes this happen. I'm not gonna try and do it in my own strength. And I think that's part of it too, is it trying to do all this in your own strength doesn't require faith. Right. You need to have faith. And, and, and then once you have faith, you'll see it grow. And not only will your business grow, your faith grows. Yeah, and, and, and that's where you have to risk being scared, right? It, it, it's interesting how we live in this modern Christian world where we want Jesus to take the wheel, right? But we only say that when we try to get the girl we want and she doesn't come, or we try to get the money we want and it doesn't come, the car we want and it doesn't come. Then we give up, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. It doesn't work that way. Whenever God takes the wheel in the Bible, it's scary. Nobody wants to do it, nobody. <laughs> right. Adam didn't want to do it, David didn't want to do it, Jonah tried to run away. Even Jesus himself is in the garden praying blood and tears. God, if you could take this away from me, do it. So don't think that if it's the right thing to do, it's gonna feel warm and fuzzy. If it's the right thing to do, it's gonna feel scary and risky. That's kind of the clue it's the right thing to do. Mm. But we pursue comfort so much, and comfort equals death, period. Comfort equals death. And we're like, oh no, I'd, I'd rather just work here. Which brings up this really good point that we didn't talk about yet, but it, it's this idea of, oh, some people can be wealthy, some people are gonna be rich. Yes, there's always gonna be poor. Jesus says the poor will always be amongst you. But he says amongst you, amongst you. Well, this is a simple equation. If the poor are always amongst you, what are you not? Poor. Mm. Mm. It's just a duh sentence. If the poor is always amongst you, you're not poor. So if that's the case, we have to start saying, okay, then why is this happening? That most Americans can't financially make it in the wealthiest country the world has ever known. It's because most Americans are not doing things that will even create it, mm. ever. 
And it, it's amazing. I'm, I'm not saying everybody should be rich. That's not my message. I'm not that guy. But it's amazing how somebody will be like a school teacher for 10 years, complain that, oh, only the wealthy have money, and not realize they had the opportunity to make it too. They just didn't take it. Mm. I have met so many teachers who since COVID have become private tutors. And they have instantly gone from 60 grand a year to 280 grand a year, teaching the same amount of kids. Like, right. like, if you're not gonna take the opportunity, then it's not the system that's even the problem. It's not God that's the problem, it's you. And you have to move in order for God to direct that. And it, it comes in the weirdest, weirdest positions and times. Do I have time for a story? Please do, yes. So I, I had just written Evangelpreneur. And you guys had me on for that, and thank you. It's, I think it's like almost 10 years old now, but I, I uh, no, it's 2015. But I, I wrote Evangelpreneur, and I am shy. I hate talking to people. I hate being on camera. I hate being in front of a crowd. God has a weird sense of humor, because that's what I do. But I'm in a cracker barrel of all places. And I feel God say, buy that couple their lunch. And I'm like, no, that's just, you know, I'm just talking to myself. Right. No, buy that couple their lunch. And I'm like, no. And then I test God, right? Because we always do that whenever we're not comfortable. <laughs> Put out the fleece. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, well, if I can get to their waitress before the waitress hands them the bill, then I'll do it. And of course, the waitress hands them the bill and I'm like, see, not God. Now, at the time, I'm trying to get this book out there, right? If you've ever written a book, it's all about promotion. And I'm like, nope, it wasn't God. I'm out in the, the lobby. They're gonna pay their bill. I'm about to pay my bill. And I feel God just pushing me to pay for this guy's lunch, this man and woman. And I'm like, oh, cry, I mean, okay, ma'am, I'll pay for this couple. And like not wanting to do it. I don't even have a smile on my face. I look ticked off because I didn't <laughs> want to do this. And they turn around and they're like, thank you so much. It's not like they were poor. I don't know why God's doing this. I'm like, don't mention it. Just like, I don't want to have a conversation. Just go away. And they're like, well, no, really, thank you. I'm like, no, just go away. And he takes out his card. If I can ever help you with anything, no, just leave. Right. And he goes, well, I'm the senior pastor at whatever Baptist church, blah, 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 5,000 congregants. Well, I'm trying to get my book out to churches. <laughs> and God opened this door that I didn't want to take. Right. And he was a pastor of some massive, massive church, and I didn't know him from Adam. So you have to be willing to take those moves when God says move. Mm -hmm. And Michael taught me this 10 years ago now. There's no Hebrew word for coincidence, which means to God there isn't one. Huh. If you're watching this, you're supposed to be watching this. If this feels like I just kicked you in the gut, you're supposed to feel that. If this feels like, oh man, Mildred, I don't know, should we have done this? Should we have listened to this bald guy 10 years ago when he was on here? Yes. There's no such thing as coincidence. Hmm. Wow. Oh, my mind's blown. <laughs> <laughs> so everything has its purpose and everything has a plan. So that, that in itself tells us that we don't need to fear when we step out in faith and do something. Right? That's the ultimate point. You're supposed to be an entrepreneur. I've proved it time and again from Genesis to Revelation. Entrepreneurship is how we're supposed to advance as a society. Does that mean everybody's gonna be rich? No. Does that mean everybody is going to make millions of dollars? No, but every family should have an element of entrepreneurship. And this is so true, it's not even about making money. Look at the tax code. If you're an entrepreneur, you get to write off a portion of your home, miles on your car. You don't get to do that if you're an employee. Right. So even if it comes to like, how do we smartly be a steward of our money, adding an element of entrepreneurship in every family is just a smart thing to do. Hmm. So if we're supposed to step out then, 
is now a good time to do it when we see things heading down? Or like, right. should we just hunker down and get our stuff and like, like just get ready for the crash? Or is this a good time to do something? It's always a good time. Okay. It's always a good time. The best time to embrace entrepreneurship is by the time I finish this sentence. <laughs> and even if we take that a step further, if you have two options, if you're like, oh man, the economy's gonna crash, and we've already talked about what the economy is and how there's no such thing as a crash, it's just a system reset. But if it's gonna go down, would you rather be an employee or an entrepreneur? If you're an employee, do you control the actions of the business? No. Do you have any say into what the business does in response to a bad economy? No. The worst place to be in an economically tough situation is the employee. If you're the entrepreneur, you get to make decisions. You at least have some measure of influence as to how you can respond to this economy. You could pivot and offer different products and services. You could partner with other businesses. You could share space to cut down on bills. You have options. Mm -hmm. If you're an employee, your only option is either I'm fired or I'm not. That's it. Well, why would I wanna be in that situation? And I'll take it one step further. We were taught since we're five that owning a home is this wonderful thing to do. I would never get a mortgage if I was an employee. We, we, you know, regardless of should you get a mortgage or not, irrelevant. I would never get a mortgage as an employee hmm. because I'm signing up for 15 to 30 years to pay for something when the average job in America now lasts five. Why would I ever be the one legally responsible for a 15-year loan when I'm not also influencing whether I make that money or not. Right. Does that make sense? It does. I don't know why people think there's security in, in employment. I don't know why people think that, you know, at least we have to put a roof over our head and pay the bills. You wouldn't have bills if that was working. It goes back to the whole comfort thing, I think. Yeah, like, it People does. are comfortable. Okay, well, I'm doing my job, and if I mess up or whatever, okay, well, I'm still getting a paycheck at the end of the month, you know, or whatever that is. Yep. Whereas, you know, if you, if you just take a little step into entrepreneurship, uh, like you've taught me to do, mm -hmm. you, could, you could control stuff. Yeah. And you are far more capable than you think you are yeah. with this. And if you don't think you're capable, Yehovah will give you the ideas. I didn't have all the ideas when I first started out. Right. Right, and just as you go, he says, hey, how about do this, how about do that? And as you step out in faith time and time again, and he shows you that worked, that worked, that worked, then you have no problem trusting him again, and there's your faith going through the roof now, right. in addition to the, uh, the funds you have to care for your family. And even if it doesn't work, it provides you the opportunity to go back to dad and say, okay, dad, what did I do wrong? Teach me. Mm -hmm. Just because something doesn't work doesn't mean he's gonna let you starve. And even if he does let you starve, maybe he wants to meet you in the woods. Like, where is this, where is this faith? If, if, if I lost everything today and, and literally lived out you know, under a bridge homeless with my family, does that mean God abandoned me? Does that mean my life is worth nothing? Does that mean, you know, does that mean I, I can't have a good future? It's irrelevant. Right. And we tie these things so closely to each other. And it's odd to think that the people who tell us money's not important are the ones that are afraid to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we don't need to be afraid to. No. Like we say, we can always go to go to dad. And your book's pretty good, but the best His is better. The best business book in the world is the Bible. Totally outsold me. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and, but but you, you are a great testimony of that. And I just want to end with that, saying, Scott, I've known you for years now, and you don't brag about this, but what you've done with you and your family over the past three years has changed your children's 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 future. Yes, because they because think about this. If you're a parent 
especially if you have teenage kids, right? Who are like my, my son, who's, he's in that world where he's trying to figure out if he should move out and this. He's like right in that transition. If he sees us having faith and going forward and making it a go ourselves with this little business on the side, he thinks, huh, I can do that too. And I would think to even a greater degree, I hope he's way better at this than I am. And he will be because he gets the advantage of, like you said earlier, seeing the mistakes. Right. And so he doesn't have to go through maybe that first or second you know, mistake. Or, he's seen how dad did it. Oh, I'm just gonna skip that part and go to plan B. And that's why it's so important people do whatever they need to do to get the love gift you guys are providing because that love gift is gonna provide the fast track to that solution. Mm. It's gonna take away half of all those fears, half of all those worries, if people just follow the steps and do it. Wow, and that's a love gift we're talking about with you. Yes. So we're doing it this month, and so that is, is coming, and uh, well, it's here already, but it, yeah, so hopefully people get it, but like you're right, it, it's, it's a very powerful lesson. And uh, I wanna thank you for, for teaching me that lesson, first of all, so. Now, let's teach others. <laughs> so you come back next week. We're gonna get more from uh, Josh Tolley. Uh, it's a great topic. Uh, I hope you see it for what it is. Yes, we're watching this on Shabbat. Yes, it's about money. But guess what? It's about more than that. It's about end times, how to prepare properly for that. And hopefully you're gleaning that from this episode. So we thank you for watching. Uh, come back next week. We're gonna talk a lot, a lot more. And uh, until then, Shavuot Tov. Have a good week. Shabbat Shalom.